Good morning. If you're new or visiting with us, my name is Bryce Johnson. I am one of the leaders here. I'm a pastoral resident, um, and it is always a joy and honor to worship with you guys, um, be with you. I was reminded during our welcome time of, of, of an anecdote where uh, we have a toddler, a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and we've been talking to her about God. And yesterday we asked her, Ellery, um, can you see God? She, she's at the dinner table, and she looks around. I don't know. I cannot see him. <laughs> and, uh, and we thought it was funny. And I was reminded as we greeted one another in our welcome time of this is how we get to see Jesus. The, the body of Christ, as Jeff exhorted us, um, is his presence here on earth. And so the way we love one another, greet one another, is how we experience Jesus even here and now. We've been walking through the letter of 1 Corinthians, um, where the apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, addresses this church, this church in Corinth, this church that he planted and he shepherded and he cared for, he raised up leaders. And in so many ways, the culture of Corinth, the city of Corinth, still had a grip on the church in Corinth, still had a grip on the Christians in Corinth. They were worshiping on Sundays, and they were meeting together uh, in their homes throughout the week, and, and yet still, their lives looked more like Corinth than they did of Christ. And this has been a problem for the church in every age, right? The church in every age has always had the issue of the culture still having its grip on her or on, on the people in the church. And churches often have one of two postures. They either have a posture of, hey, we're staunchly against everything in the city or the culture, right? We're, we're, we're anti-everything. Or leaning too far uh, into the directional wind of where the culture or where the city is going. And we believe that the call of Jesus for his people is to be countercultural in every age, to be countercultural people, to be countercultural presence in the city and for the city. We're distinctly different, and, uh, and yet we still point to Jesus. We, we want to be peaceful, and we want to be a blessing, but we also want to be a prophetic witness to the world that our allegiance is not in, 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 in a person, in a system. It, it's in a different kingdom. It's in a king and another kingdom. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about Paul addresses this issue of disunity, and he calls them to unity around the person and work of Jesus. And then last week, we, we saw that the wisdom of God doesn't make sense to the world. The, the cross is always, always looks foolishness to the world. But the pattern of God is to work through weak and um, unimpressive people and unimpressive means so that he gets the glory. And in our text today, Paul is going to continue that argument. He's going to continue that the wisdom of God is contrary to the wisdom of the world. And so Paul's going to talk about how he preached, how he preached uh, to them, and then how it landed. And this, this text is important for us because most of us hear sermons week in and week out. Right? We hear, maybe you grew up in church and, and you've heard sermons for years, and maybe you'll hear sermons for years to come. And, but even if this is the first Christian sermon you've ever heard or the first one in a while, there's something for us because Paul's going to remind us what, what Christian preaching is supposed to be and how we're supposed to respond to it. I, I think it's also important because we all know that throughout history, and we even see it today, that often the most powerful voices, 
or uh, influential voices, the most captivating voices often sway the most people, right? Maybe you're in here, maybe you've had a family member that's been uh, that's been swayed by a powerful voice or powerful voices. Um, and we want to know, man, what, is, what does the voice of God sound like? How does, how does he come to us? How does he speak, speak to us? So we're going to look at a few things this morning in this text. We're going to look at the nature of preaching. We're going to look at how, who can't receive God's word. And we're going to look at how we actually do receive God's wisdom. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You'll follow along with me. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's telling us how he preached. His, his preaching and words weren't impressive. Paul, Paul wasn't winning any speech awards in Corinth. He tells us he deliberately chose words and deliberately chose to speak in a way that, was, that made him not look impressive. And I got to tell you, it's pretty convicting as someone who preaches from time to time and spends a lot of time crafting my words, trying to think, how does this land? How, how do people understand this? And Paul says, hey, I intentionally spoke in such a way where, where attention wasn't drawn to me. Because attention would then would have been drawn away from the content of what Paul was preaching. The only thing he wanted the Corinthians to marvel at, to celebrate, to keep coming back for, was the message of Christ crucified. Earlier he calls it the power of God. He calls it the wisdom of God, the, the wisdom of the cross, the word of the cross. And I think we can hear the phrase Christ crucified, and especially if you've grown up in this area, especially if you've uh, grown up in the church or, or been around church for a while, it can lose some of its punch. Yeah, Christ crucified. Jesus died for my sins. And so, so let's take a moment and actually dissect that phrase. Let's parse it out for a little bit, right? Christ, meaning deliverer, savior, redeemer, king, anointed one, crucified, executed, death row, put to death. The message that Paul wanted to proclaim was a king who was put to death. That's actually God's wisdom because that king declared his victory in his death. death. Death was victory for Jesus. And this crucified king now calls his people to live a new way of life. He calls them into a new kingdom to walk in the way of his wisdom. In fact, the whole Bible is about this message, right? The whole Bible is about Christ crucified. After his resurrection, Jesus shows up to his disciples and he says, hey, all of scripture pointed to this, the Messiah had to die to suffer and die. And it sounds backwards, doesn't it? But this is what we call good news. This is the gospel, the breaking in of God's kingdom, not be, uh, or be breaking in of God's kingdom because of what happened on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. This is what we celebrate every week. This is, these, it's the songs that we sing, the, the table that we eat around, and the preaching that we hear. One uh, New Testament scholar says it this way. He says, worldly wisdom could not conceive that the Messiah could be crucified much less be seen as a glorious divine ruler actually exercising ruling power 
while being defeated. Friends, so this is what we hope our preaching is week in and week out. Not, not life hacks, not TED Talks, not tips on how to have a better marriage or improve your finances. So that we're, we're not going to give you the most persuasive speeches you've ever heard. But it's the good news of an executed Savior. The hope that comes with a king that was put to death. Paul says, hey, I, I want to make sure that you weren't swayed by clever arguments or compelling sermons, or even a charismatic leader. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses this issue. Apparently, some guys were coming around and saying, hey, Paul, man, his letters are fire. They're pretty good, but have you ever been around him in person? He's not impressive in person, right? And Paul says, hey, I intentionally did that. That was intentional, so that your hope wouldn't be in a powerful presence or a charismatic leader so that your faith wouldn't, wouldn't rest in my words or my preaching, but it would rest in Christ crucified. It causes us to, or should cause us to pause and ask, friends, what is your faith resting in? What is your faith resting in? Is it a pastor you seem to really connect with or, or a sermon or the, the way a sermon makes you feel? Because we're, we're so easily impressed by gifting, personality, aren't we? In, in, in the last decade or so, there, there have been a lot of influential pastors and church leaders who have fallen for a variety of reasons. And one of the most disheartening things has, to be, has been to see how Christians have shipwrecked their faith or have walked away altogether or deconstructed everything that they built their lives on because of the failing or the walking away of this pastor or church leader. There's a lot that's been written and talked about and podcasts recorded and much more about the rise and fall of many a gifted pastor and leader who propped themselves up on maybe gifting or became the star of their own ministry so that you left the churches or you left the churches talking more about them than they did about Jesus. And the churches and their members and their followers were drawn to, this, to, to the person of charisma more so than the person of Christ. It's sober warning for all of us, to all of us to ask, friends, where does our faith rest? Are we, are we more impressed by ability and persuasion and gifting? Or are we actually impressed by the message of the gospel? Can I offer that at some point, your favorite preacher or pastor will die or leave or say a faulty word? At some point, the words won't be quite as impressive and so our faith must be anchored not in the messenger, but in the message. But we're not called just to believe a proposition, Christ crucified. He, he calls us to look at the proof in what that truth actually does, what it accomplishes, because the message of the gospel isn't just something to think about, isn't just something to reflect on, oh, isn't that nice? Jesus died for my sins. But to believe in and see how it actually works out in our lives. Because the word of God actually accomplishes something. The power of the gospel accomplishes as it goes forth. It doesn't just have power. Paul says it is power. He talks about the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. The demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. Some folks think, oh, what Paul's talking about here is when he showed up in Corinth and did all these signs and wonders and spiritual gifts exploded. And that's what he's talking about. He's like, hey, remember all the things that, that you saw? 
And I think that, that might be part of it. But I don't think that's what Paul means here. Because what Paul is doing right now, he's, he's tearing down our tendency to look at flash, to look at impressive things and be like, that's fire. That's amazing. No, what, what, what Paul is telling us, what Paul is calling us to, is to remember and to think about the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God are the lives that change because of the message of this cross. Because when the message of the cross goes forth, repentance happens. Friends, think about what the Lord has done in your own life as you've heard the gospel, as you've heard preaching, as you've read the word of God. How has your own life changed? See, when you see that Christ died for your sins, you can replace pride with humility. When you see that Jesus died to free you from your slavery to sin, you can actually begin putting to death anger. And so, do you, know, do you know where your faith ought to rest? It's in the power of God that saves you out of darkness, that, that calls you from being a slave to sin and a child of God. It's an invitation for us to look at our own lives and see where has God worked? Where has the gospel affected change in our own lives? Because listen, whoever stands up here, their most persuasive argument won't help you love your spouse more. My best gifting will not cause you to repent of your sin. Do you know what does? The message of Christ crucified. The content of Paul's preaching was the wisdom of God, but, but, but notice how he preached. Paul says, hey, I preached with weakness and fear and trembling. And I was thinking, man, what if Paul had said the opposite, right? What if Paul had said, I was with you in strength, and confidence, and bravado, and my speech was excellent. You'd have thought a lot about Paul, right? You'd have been really impressed with Paul, more so maybe even than the message. What you would have seen is actually a false gospel, because the message of the cross is not just a truth to, to be declared, though we should declare it, but it's a truth to be lived. It's a truth to be embodied. So much so that even how we say it should reflect the message, should reflect the cross. Our lives should reflect the message of this good news of a great savior and weak people. But, but here's the other thing in what Paul said. This passage reminds us that even as we talk to others about Jesus, right? You, you don't have to be on a stage. Even as we talk to others about Jesus, we don't need to be quite as worried in how we sound, we don't have to have all our arguments in order or have perfectly polished presentations. We can even be nervous, he says, and trust that the God who spoke through a nervous and trembling Paul will speak through nervous and trembling people here and now. And trust that as we proclaim Christ crucified, God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. And so listen, this should give us great confidence as if you're a parent, as you disciple your kids and as you talk to your kids about God, right? You're like, I, I don't even know if I'm saying this right. We can trust the power of God who works through our weakness. As we, as we encourage one another in our discipleship groups and community groups, as we fearfully maybe share our faith or talk about Jesus with others around us, our confidence is not in whether we said it right or, or used the right inflection or our confidence is in God who works through weakness so that he might get glory. 
So the nature of Paul's preaching was that it's centered around the work of Jesus. And so the question is, if this work is so amazing, and if this work affects what it goes out to do, then why do some people reject the word of the cross, right? Or another way of saying this is, what prevents us from receiving God's wisdom? How can we hear God's word go forth, and how should we not respond? Let's keep reading. Verse 6, Paul says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Go to verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. There are a couple things we see about those who don't understand or who can't comprehend or won't comprehend the message of the cross. The first is that they trust the wisdom of the day. They trust the wisdom of the day that inevitably passes away. I, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but they trust the wisdom of the day that passes away. They have too high of a view of the current trends or of what's appropriate or right right now. I was hanging out with some uh, with, with some older family members uh, a few weeks ago, and it was a great time, and yet couldn't help but cringe a handful of times at some of the things that they said, or some of the words of like, I love you, you, you can't say that anymore, or, or you can't say that right now, or that's not appropriate, that's not PC, and, and it's because there are things that were acceptable 30 years ago that aren't acceptable right now, and maybe you feel that right now, maybe you're confused as it is, like, what can I say, what can I not say? But then I was reminded, even at that moment, that there are things that my kids and definitely my grandkids are going to cringe at of things that I believed or things that I said because the wisdom of the day is always changing, isn't it? It's always changing. What seems right and good right now will be dated and passe tomorrow. It's doomed to pass away. It's doomed to pass away. My, my, my wife and I were driving through a certain neighborhood of OKC this week, and a lot of the buildings and houses have a certain style um, and I'm not going to describe the style because you might ha live in a house like that and I don't want to offend your house. But we're driving through it and we were like, man, when was this ever okay to design houses like this or buildings like this, right? Like, like what, what were they on? What, what was going on? Like, but it's going to happen 15 years from now, right? Like, like all the money you spent on that, that cool barn house door you just put in your house, it's going to look dated in 15 years, Right? It's, it's, it's going to look dated. It looks, it looks great right now. I mean, we, we know this, right? Like, we, you look at pictures of yourself from 10 years ago or 20 years ago, right? And, and, and we cringe a little bit. Or, or look at clothing styles, right? Or, or haircuts, for crying out loud. The mullets are coming back. I don't know what to do with that. But, but it's not just fashion, right? It's not just fashion. We see it in how laws change and how public opinion changes, and perceptions change. What's acceptable and not acceptable changes with every generation. And we're always trying to play catch up to the wisdom of the day. And when we're so tied to the trends or what's acceptable right now, we can't comprehend the full message of the cross because it's actually going to transcend time. The message of the cross is gonna come into every culture and every time period and every era, and it's gonna be counter to it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be counter to what's appropriate and right in Yukon in 2022, just as it will in 
Japan of 2022, just as it did in Palestine in 30 AD, just as it will 100 years from now if the Lord doesn't come. Maybe we squirm at what the Bible says about sex and gender or about the ways we treat the foreigner or the stranger or our enemy. And we, we betray our arrogance. We show arrogance when we think that we finally arrived, right? We now know what's good and right and fair and just and righteous, right? Now we think correctly on an issue. Can I remind you that the generations before us thought that and the generations after us will think the same thing? What we need to do is find an anchor in something that's unchanging, something that stays the course, something that doesn't change with the winds of time or winds of public perception. That's why Isaiah 48, he says, hey, the grass, will, it's going to wither away and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Another thing we see is that they rely on themselves. In in other words, what they trust in, for for, for those who reject the word of the cross, what they trust in is in their own ability to ascertain and assess what's right and what's good. We apply the scientific method, right? Like, okay, Bryce, I I hear your hypothesis. Now let me me analyze it. Let me see, like, does it actually make sense to me? Can I logically prove it? We become the arbiters of truth. But scripture says, hey, what no eye has seen, and not only that, what no ear has heard, and not just that, what no heart could even imagine. Not just what you can sense and taste and, 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 and crunch numbers enough and, and gather with your senses, but what your heart can't even imagine, God has prepared for those who love him. The way of God, the way of wisdom, is that you couldn't even imagine it playing out the way that God did. You couldn't even imagine how he would save you. You couldn't even imagine the life to which he would call you. But if all truth stops at you and your ability to understand at the gate of your mind, you'll never receive the wisdom of God. You'll never receive the wisdom of God. Because the very nature of God is that he's outside of us, right? If he is God over all, then he is God above us and beyond us and wholly other. And it means that he must be beyond our understanding and beyond our comprehension. If you read this book, you see that God loves to blow our minds. That's why Ephesians 4 says that God is able to do far more than not only anything that we ask, but anything that we can even imagine. He says your imagination is too small for what God can do. Our ability to comprehend is too small. And so if your mind and your senses and your heart are the final arbiter for what can be true, your heart might be close to the wisdom of God. The final thing we see about those who would reject the message of the cross is that they find the message dangerous. They find it dangerous. Paul tells us that Jesus was crucified by the rulers and the wisdom of the day because they couldn't understand God's wisdom. But this wasn't a lack of understanding like, oh man, Jesus, he's kind of confusing, huh? He's strange, he's quirky, because you don't crucify quirky, right? You you don't even crucify strange. What you do crucify are threats. You crucify what's dangerous. 
those who reject God's wisdom ultimately see it as dangerous to, to their power, to their influence, to their way of life. And here's the message for us today. If, if we continue to hold God's word or parts of God's word at arm's length, if we continue to hold it as like, I don't know about that, or I'm going to reject this, what Paul's telling us is that, that you, you, you don't just become apathetic to, to, to Jesus. You don't just become apathetic. You don't remain indifferent to him. You don't just tolerate his teachings. But the trajectory of rejecting the wisdom of God, the trajectory is crucifying him. It's a hardening of heart. It's starting to see Jesus more and more as a threat to your own comfort and your own desires and your own preferences. It's a sober warning for us this morning as we come in week in and week out and hear God's word, as we read it, as we talk about it in our community groups. Friends, what's the posture of our hearts? Do we find ourselves leaning in, seeking to delight in it? Or do we hold it increasingly at arm's length? Do we find the commands of God as something to embrace and apply or something just to think about and consider and learn about? Friends, can I remind you that it wasn't just pagan Rome that crucified Jesus, but religiously devout people who nonetheless closed their hearts to Jesus. Some things about Jesus they liked, but some things they're like, ah, I don't know about that. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 3, he says, take care, brothers. Take care, brothers, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He says, take care, brothers. So This is not the world out there. This is to this room. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's referencing a line from when Israel was wandering in the, in the desert. They saw all these signs, they saw all these signs, but they continued to harden their hearts. Today, today, scripture calls it, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Not, not tomorrow, not, not another day, exhort one another every day. Today, hear his voice, which, which leads me to my which leads us to our last question of, of how, do we, how do we hear his voice? How do we receive his wisdom? How do we not hold him at arm's length? That's by the Holy Spirit. That's by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, these things, which means he's, referring, he's referencing the wisdom of God. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Friends, what Paul just said is, is the way you and I know God, the way you and I receive the message of the cross, the way you and I embrace the wisdom of God and live by it is because the Holy Spirit of God has revealed it to us. See, the way of God can't be found by crunching numbers or observing all the right things or studying or using our senses or even imagining what God might be like. 
the only way we know God is because he has revealed himself to us. Now, he used an illustration, and, and he says, hey, you can't know a person just by looking at them, right? You can't know what's, what's going on in their hearts, right? We can try right now. What am I thinking right now? Any guesses? Friends? No. Lions? Lunch. Lunch? No. Dallas Cowboys, but that's neither here nor there. It's, it's, a, it's a sad thought, I know, right now. You can't know me and know what, what my thoughts are. Right? We, we can't. When I started dating my wife, my, my now wife, at the very beginning, I knew some things about her. Right? Like I, I knew where she went to college. I knew where she worked. I knew who her roommates were. I knew that we went to church together. I knew that she led a small group, a community group. But I knew all these things by observing her, right? by talking to other people who knew her, and by doing some good old social media stalking, right? Like, I knew some things about her, but I didn't know her until she started opening her mouth and telling me more about who she was. She started inviting me in to herself, telling me about her childhood, telling me about her relationship with her roommates, telling me about the way God saved her, inviting me into her, her, her fears and her worries, Tell me about what she loves and celebrates. She even told me that she doesn't like sarcasm, and I didn't know if there would be another date, you know? But, but she invited me into that, knowing who I was. See, only she knew herself as she did. And, so, so, and I knew her because she shared herself with me. And she continues to do that. She continues to share who she is with me, how she's feeling. She's, she communicates it with me. One of the things that we like to do is just look at each other and say, hey, what are you thinking? Because I can't tell just by looking at her, right? I can't, I can't look at her and be like, I bet you're thinking about Gilmore Girls, right? Like, I, I, I can't. This is what Paul says. He says, only the Spirit of God knows God. And so if we know him and know his heart, it's only because the Spirit has revealed himself to us. The Spirit of God reveals to us the heart of God. He reveals his heart for us, his thoughts for us. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus this morning, it's because the Spirit has done that. If you read God's word and it brings you joy and life, and the way of Christ is beautiful and glorious, and it is the wisdom of God, it's because the Spirit of God has revealed that to you. Paul says later on in this letter, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Spirit. God has allowed himself, holy God, holy other, has allowed himself to be known by finite human beings, by revealing himself, by letting us in on him, on who he is. And what that means is that if you and I are going to remain in Christ, if we're going to remain in the wisdom of God, if we're going to live in the way of Jesus, it's only by relying on the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, revealing the word, the heart of God to us, the thoughts of God, then we're going to be living after our own way. We're going to be living after the flesh. We're going to be trying our best. 
the Galatian church has started doing this, and Paul, Paul writes to them, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, having begun by the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Friends, are we being perfected by the flesh? Are we trying to, are we trying to power through in our own wisdom and our own understanding? When we talk about the Holy Spirit, especially relying on the Holy Spirit, I think some of us can get really excited. You're like, yes, finally, this is what I'm here for. Or we can get really nervous because we don't know what to do with him. Right? And so, so here's a really quick, really short theology lesson. Right? It's by no means comprehensive. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a he. He's, he's not an it. He's not an impersonal force out there. He's not some, 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 some vague idea. He is a he. He is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. So we can approach him as a person. John 16, 4 tells us that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, that that's one of the primary things that he does. He doesn't glorify himself. He glorifies Jesus. He points us to Jesus. He reminds us of what Jesus said. He tells us the way of Jesus. John 16, 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and guides us in all truth. Romans 8 tells us the Holy Spirit reminds us that for those of us who are in Christ, that we are children of God. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that the Holy Spirit of God has equipped all believers with spiritual gifts to build up the church. And so if you're a Christian this morning, listen, the Holy Spirit of God has given, has equipped you and gifted you to edify the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 2 reminds us that or tells us this morning that the Holy Spirit of God shows us the heart of God. Listen, that was by no means a comprehensive list of all the things the Holy Spirit does. I can go on and on, but here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is given to us. If you're in Christ this morning, you have him living in you. And he's glorifying Jesus in you. And he's empowering you to walk in wisdom, to live a life of godliness and he's refining you to look, make you look more and more like Jesus. And he's equipping you to do the work of ministry. And he's sealing you for the final day. He's sealing you with God's love. And so here's what it looks like to live a life reliant on the Holy Spirit. It's by having a posture of humility. That we're going to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. A posture of humility that shows you don't have it all figured out. And so you ask the Spirit of God to continue to shape you and refine you where you need to be helped and shaped. It's by taking your doubts and fears and worries to God, knowing that he cares and won't turn you away and will meet you with the Holy Spirit, who's also called the Comforter. When you're confronted with something in Scripture or a sermon or, or by another believer who also is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, we can ask God to soften our hearts to receive what's actually from him. It's by continuing to go to God's word through his spirit to open and ask him to open up our eyes to receive everything that he would have for us. It's by walking in obedience. The, the spirit is a person, and so we can, we can go to him, we can ask him. Listen, I'm, I'm about to end here. Today, friends, as the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, Know that it means it's because you're his child. It's because you're his child. If you hear his voice, would you ask him? Would you ask him to give you the heart to love and obey him? Would you ask him to equip you 
to walk in obedience, to convict you in areas that you're blind to, to show you the ways in which he has gifted you, to, to make Jesus more glorious, to have a heart to receive and embrace and love the wisdom of God and the way of the cross. This is how we actually become more mature, as Paul tells us in verse six. He says, hey, this we say to the mature. You don't become spiritually mature by just getting older or by, by doing the right things. You get it by receiving the Spirit and walking in step with the Spirit. And if you're in here and this all this still sounds like foolishness, well, the invitation for you is today, if you hear his voice, ask. Ask him to not harden your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart to hear and understand the message of the cross, to see the wisdom of God as true wisdom, to see Jesus as beautiful, and to obey Jesus as king. Friends, let's pray. Father God, Father God, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You have given us yourself in your Holy Spirit. So God, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us where we need to be convicted, would, would edify us, would shape us. God, would, we, would he empower us to put to death the ways in which we even now want to remain hostile to the word? God, would you lift and glorify Jesus? It's your son's name we pray, amen.